0: Welcome to Filmstrip, I'm Ron, I'm Jay, and I'm Jerry, and this is our review of Gremlins starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Point Axton, Polly Holiday, Francis Lee McCain, Judge Reinhold, Dick Miller, Key Luke, Corey Feldman, and the voice talents of Howie Mandel and Frank Welker as Gizmo and Stripe, respectively. Directed by Joe Dante and written by Christopher Columbus, no not that one, the Home Alone guy. Released in 1984 on a budget of $11 million across a staggering $212.9 million at the box office. Gremlins was a smash and an even bigger hit at the toy store with gizmo dolls being the hot toy of 1984 and kicking off a stream of video games, toys, collectible cards, storybooks, marketing, and most importantly, about a dozen little monster fake out movies, critters, ghoulies, trolls, mm-hmm. hobgoblins, munchies, and all other kinds of dumb little creature features. But before we get into a plot summary of our Christmas Spectacular, we have a guest, Jerry Davila from Totally Rad Christmas. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your Totally Rad podcast and give us a little bit of your history with gremlins.
1: Okay, well, I'll start with the podcast first. Uh, So I'm the host of Totally Rad Christmas. We've been around for about a year and a half ish. Um, basically we talk all things Christmas in the eighties, toys, movies, specials, music, fashion, fads, books. You know, I like to say if it was gnarly during Christmas in the eighties, we got it covered. I do kind of give a few le- uh, years leeway there just to kind of, you know, add a little extra depth because the eighties didn't happen overnight. So we kind of go from 77 to 93, but basically, uh, I talk about the raddest time of year in the uh, baddest decade ever. As to my experience with gremlins, well, okay. So I was there. Uh, we actually, my parents took me when I was four years old to see Gremlins in the theater. It was a double feature. It was Ghostbusters and Gremlins together. And I remember I was ridiculously scared of the librarian in the beginning of Ghostbusters. And then I kind of fell asleep and I don't really remember it. But I remember Gizmo. Like I woke up and I was watching, I was like super into Gremlins. And then I also was completely terrified when they turned into vicious creatures because I guess... The marketing didn't really uh, portray a whole lot of that part of it. And so my parents thought they were taking me to like a cute little gremlin, you know, <laughs> gizmo kind of movie. And it didn't quite work out. <laughs> but I love this movie. It's like one I try to watch uh, now because um, I hadn't watched it in like a couple of like probably two decades. And now I watch it like the last seven years. I watch it at least once a year. It's just it's great. You know, but if I can watch it more than that, then I, I definitely will.
0: Now, I get the feeling, Jerry, your parents were not the only ones fooled by the marketing. But uh, before we get into that, Jay, what's your history with Gremlins? I, I, like Jerry, saw this in theaters with my whole family. Like
2: it was, I've said on many podcasts before on on Strip, holiday time was time for us to go to the theaters together. In 1984, we were you know, there. I think I was, I was seven years old or so, and and my brother was 12. And so, you know, this was hitting the sweet spot. And uh, we had seen Ghostbusters, and then we saw this, and I remember it distinctly. Funny thing about this, though, guys, I think I've only seen this movie all the way through, like front to back, maybe four times in my life, and that includes the time to watch it for this. I've seen bits and pieces of it through the years. My most distinct memory of Gremlins, and this is going to tell you that I definitely grew up in the 80s, were those read-along books you used to get that had the little 45 record that you could play along with, and it was sort of like plot summary the story for you as a kid. Um, I wore that thing out. Like I was obsessed with that. And I think I read through that, listened to it, whatever way more times than I actually ever saw the movie. <laughs> and I you know, I saw it a couple of times as a kid, like I said, and then I would see bits and pieces on TV here and there, but never really went back to it. Revisited it several years ago because it was on that, like, Hey, I haven't seen that in a long time. Let's go back and revisit things from your childhood and see how much they're ruined for you. And I, was like, eh. you know, I, I didn't really have any strong feelings about it either way, other than I was amazed that they actually found a white guy more boring and bland than Judge Reinhold, and they put him as the lead actor of this movie, uh, and and that is as a feat in and of itself. And uh, then you know, I hadn't thought about it again. And Ron, you and I were talking about like, yeah, we need to do some Christmas horror stuff. And I said, you know, amazingly, we've never done either of the Gremlin films. And so, uh, you know, it was a good time to do that. And I knew we were we were looking for an excuse to have Jerry on too, because Totally Rad is a great podcast and a ton of fun. And so, th- this was a good excuse. So, my my biggest memories of Gremlins, honestly, are that little read along record thing, more than the movie. So, I actually still have mine. They're in my closet right now. I have all five.
1: It was like five parts. Awesome. Yeah, and <laughs> you got them like
2: Hardee's or something. <laughs> yeah, <That's right. laughs>
1: and I have all of them right now. I. I I played them for my kids, like, I think maybe a year ago, and they just weren't interested. And I was like, man, yeah. this is just a different age. It was kind of yeah. sad.
2: I, I, they're probably, like, on YouTube <laughs> or something, If I really just wanted to go deep dive back into I'm that sure. I haven't looked for them, but I thought about that as I was watching this. I was like, I know what seems coming next, and that's amazing for a movie that I've seen as few times as I've seen this one. And it's because of that dang book and record, man. I mean, it really summed it up.
0: So, my history with Gremlins is those little read-along 45 things from Hardee's. I had all five of them. I don't even know when I saw this movie for the first time, but it was definitely well after I knew the story front to back because of those records. So, those records and, like, uh, my cousin had a gizmo toy. So, those records and my cousin had a gizmo toy, and both of those were, like, crucial things to developing my interest in Gremlins. And like Jay, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. I've watched it for a few years in a row now, but it's mostly just been here that I've started to actually pay attention to it. But before I start talking about a thing I noticed for the first time on this viewing, I better get to the plot summary.
1: Well, and before you get to that, you mentioned toy, and that reminded me we actually had, uh, I actually did have, I think it was about maybe two and a half, three inches tall. It was a plastic gizmo. Uh, and it was pretty awesome. I mean, I remember used to, I used to play it with it with He-Man and G.I. Joe, and it was like, you know, he was just like the cute little furry guy. And I think I, I think I pretended he was like a big Wookiee or something at one point. Uh, <laughs> I,
2: I actually made him the overlord king of the Ewoks as nice. a kid. And, uh, because I just decided Gizmo was way cooler than the fuzzy bears in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Not a Wicked fan. <laughs> no, <laughs> people go back in the archives and hear my thoughts about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, not, not, it, not my thought on that one. Yeah.
0: Now, does it make you feel better, Jay, to know that those Ewoks were probably eating those stormtroopers after they killed them? I mean, <laughs> you know, I only expected that they were. The that. <laughs> so,
2: and it would totally go along with uh, with everything. But yeah, I think Gizmo could have got down on indoor. It was his kind of plan.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. So
2: yeah, I I I love the when GI Joe and Star Wars would like have intergalactic battles because GI Joe was really outmatched except for Scarlett because she could kill everybody. Because don't trust the redheads. Yeah, there's something about a redhead, I'm telling you.
0: For me, the one who was killing all the Star Wars guys, Snake Eyes, because if anybody I was mean, right, was one with the Force in a way that only Darth Vader could match up with. So we've had lightsaber versus nunchuck duels.
2: Yeah, Lightning I mean, I think we've just relived our whole childhood here. I think we did the first five <laughs> yeah. minutes of this podcast. But yeah. Well, this has
0: been a five minute taste of every, <laughs> every time I've been on Totally Red Christmas, or every time I've listened to Totally Red Christmas, because it's yep. always been like a blast in the 1980s, oh, right in the face. <laughs> yep. But like weirdos. we talked, a, but like we talked about Jay in our Friday the 13th reviews, it was the 70s, well, until like 1987. Yes. So.
2: Yeah, it took a little while for the 80s to actually latch hold. Of everything. And that's okay, because when it did, man, it was amazing. It was so amazing. John Mayer had made a whole album out of it this last summer. And if you haven't checked out Sob Rock, what are you doing with your life, people?
0: Well, before we get sidetracked more about uh, reminiscing about the 80s, I'll do the plot summary. Randall Peltzer, with a delicious, buttery voiceover, is exploring Chinatown, looking for a place to offload his malfunctioning crap, and he's dragged into Mr. Wing's Chinatown shop. After some back-and-forth, Peltzer uncovers a mysterious creature known as a Mogwai, and because he's one of the most American people has ever lived, he buys it for $200 and takes it home as a Christmas present for his son, Billy. However, Mogwai are a little harder to take care of than dogs, so Rand lists off Schrodinger's rules for Billy, don't get them wet, don't expose them to bright light, because it'll kill them, and don't feed them after midnight. Billy, more or less, follows those rules well, until Billy's underage friend Pete, accidentally spills a cup of water, splattering Gizmo with droplets and causing him to butt off five new mogwai who aren't as friendly or as cute as Gizmo. Those so-called peltzer pets are loud, troublesome, and obnoxious, and they make life a living hell for poor Gizmo and are second only to Mrs. Deagle, as to their ability to torture Barney the dog. Billy takes care of his new charges, except for when he leaves with the science teacher, Mr. Hanson, until the evil Spike unplugs his clock and Billy unknowingly feeds them after midnight. As we all know... After Midnight is where it all hangs out, and After Midnight is when all the weirdos turn crazy, and After Midnight Snacking is when Mogwai turned into evil, scaly, green-blooded Vulcans. I mean, Gremlins. Mr. Hanson finds himself killed, the first person of many the Gremlins' inevitably murder, And Billy and his mother Lynn manage to fight off and kill the other Gremlins in Billy's house, save one. Spike Scarper is paying a visit to the YMCA and doing a cannonball into the pool to create his very own Gremlin army. Said gremlin army immediately start killing and maiming, catapulting Mrs. Deagle out of her upstairs window, throwing stuff out the mailbox, and driving Dick Miller's snowplow into his house. Because I know the character has a name, but he's always Dick Miller to me. Billy's pleased that the police are laughed off because Little Green Monster's wrecking stuff sounds like one of Mr. Futterman's drunken ramblings after one too many long necks at Duffy's. Billy rescues Kate from the aforementioned Duffy's, which is now renamed Gremlins, and they hide in the bank as the movie stops dead long enough for Kate to tell the world that there is no Santa Claus, shattering children's Christmas dreams worldwide. As dawn approaches, the gremlins hold up in the local movie theater to watch Snow White, giving Billy a great chance to blow up the old movie house with all the gremlins inside. Well, except one. Spike, because he's the luckiest gremlin who's ever lived, was across the street stealing candy from the Montgomery Ward. Billy, Kate, and Gizmo Go to try and stop Spike, setting off a pretty good game of cat and mouse in the department store with Spike flinging saw blades and firing off the jugs machine at Billy before a climactic showdown in the home goods department. Billy is held at gunpoint by Spike, who puts his hand in the fountain to kick off a new wave of gremlins, except Gizmo rockets into the scene on a toy car, flies through the air, crashes into the wall, and throws open the blinds to expose the mid-moulting Spike to the killing rays of dawn, dissolving him into a Nazi-looking-at-the-holy-grail puddle and putting an end to the gremlin threat. In the aftermath, as news reports mass hysteria in Kingston Falls, Mr. Wing shows up, gives Rand his money back, and takes it back the Mogwai, stating that one day Billy might be able to take care of it. But for now, the West isn't ready for that responsibility. Gizmo offers up a sweetly sad
2: Bye, Billy
0: as we fade out and credits roll. So I got one question before we go
2: any further. <laughs> You think Arnold Schwarzenegger saw this in a theater and a year later was like, I'm going to do what the spike did with the chainsaw thing. I'm just going to throw it through a guy's head because I saw the little man do it and I'm a much bigger man. I can do that now in commando. <laughs> I don't know,
1: but you're right. Stripe melting totally did remind me of uh tot his face melting
2: in the, yes. <laughs> looking at the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> it's totally raided. There's so much in this movie that is just a complete something rip-off. else and it gets ripped off
0: and is ripped off from something else. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about for sure. All right. So one of the first things I've noticed, and this is the first time I've ever noticed this, is just how much Griblins takes its first act structure. First two thirds of the movie, actually, from It's a Wonderful Life and how many shots Joe Dante straight-up steals from that movie. You get a lot of shots of Billy at the bank. You get the the towns having money troubles. Mr. Potter, I mean, Mrs. Deagle is the greedy owner of the bank and half the town. You get all these great shots of Billy and Kate running through the snowy streets. The movie grinds the halt for a romantic subplot. And everyone learns just how great life was in old Kingston Falls, except there's no clearance to set things right. They just have to live with the fact that their town was blown to shit by Billy. And otherwise mutilated by gremlins.
2: Yeah, there's so much like there's like the it's like Chris Columbus had all these ideas in his head, like, I wanna do it's a wonderful life, but with like Fucking monsters and the wicked witch of the West is gonna be there and then there's gonna be the hot chick from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and but she's gonna wear a sweater and tell a really morbid story that's like Silent Night, Deadly Night Four or something, and you know, it's all this crazy stuff in in a Peltzer blender. And <laughs> sometimes it comes out about like the orange juice does out of the peeler juicer that sprays the, the kitchen with uh, with goo as it goes. It's funny because I, I didn't really notice that until you brought it up. But you're right. It's like
1: exactly. It's a wonderful life. You know, you have the the, the protagonist who's just uh like just a white bread kind of guy. You know, Uh you have the the love interest kind of ish. You know, that the, just I mean, it's it's straight up. It's a wonderful life. And now forever, I'm gonna call like Mr. Potter, uh, Ms., Mr. Deagle or something whenever I watch
2: right. it. Because I think uh, I like this movie better, which is yeah. crazy. It's, it's so... Well, I'm, I'll go on record with you. The Jeremy said right now, It's a Wonderful Life It's so incredibly overrated. That's a Christmas movie. Like, it's been shoved at everybody's throats. It's... It, 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 to borrow Peter Griffin, it insists upon itself, and it, you know, and I—that I, I, movie is is boring. <laughs> like I, I revisited it with family a few years back, thinking, okay, this will be a fun thing to do. And two and a half hours later, we were like, God, it's ever going to end? You know, because it goes on and on and on. And at least this movie knows to cut itself into some bit of a. Palatable chunk, as as it does indeed. I think you described it right, Ron. Grind to a halt as we try to Mm -hmm. shoehorn a love story in there. Where, oh boy, there was not room for one.
0: Well, well, well. Listen, Kate, why don't you go to the pool and take your top off for Judge Reinhold? That's a terrible Jimmy Stewart. My God, <laughs> that's a
2: terrible Jimmy hey, Stewart. But you know what? I like bad Kane. idea. I liked <laughs> Kate a lot better when she was just a loose girl that worked at the mall. Because she is horrible in this. Like, I, you got to say it. Like, Phoebe Gates is her. Her bad acting is only matched by how bland Zach Galligan is. And it's a good thing they have furry little monsters running around them. Because otherwise, oh boy, this would be this would be rough city right here. Like I, I'm talking like Leprechaun. Too bad. Actually. See, on, on the other hand. It's Phoebe Cates, and I think we all had a crush on her at this point, like right. every
1: single one of us.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not watching her for a thespian feats necessarily, <laughs> but <No. laughs> the fact that they give her so much melodrama to do, only to, only to be topped by the fact that in the sequel they just send it up like to make fun of it, so at least they knew that, like, yeah, that didn't really land the way we thought it was going to. <laughs> <And>, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, they just cut it off in the middle of it, so yeah, it's that's. I don't know. There, there's so much you could talk about that, and the, the stories are are famous, right? About like Dante fought to have that in there, mm-hmm. and Spielberg was like, "I don't think it's that good, Joe." But okay, if that's you know, because he felt like it was his um, you know Indianapolis moment in Jaws or something. Yeah, like, no, nah, there's, there's we're missing a lot to be able to set that up, and make that work. Didn't yeah. he think it was
1: like, it was like the thesis of like the whole movie, you know? Like, like, right. if you got, if, <laughs> yes, if you, the, we need this, because if you, if you have this, then you know what the movie's about, you know? The,
2: the thesis of the movie is Christmas <laughs> sucks and might kill you then, because that is the thesis that Kate lays out. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happens in this movie, too, is capitalism will murder you, children.
0: Merry Christmas. All right. So we were going to talk about that later, but since we're already complaining about that story now, Here's my question. Phoebe Cates, Kate goes into this story, and I feel like this, this in and of itself, this story would in and of itself would be enough to, if it had been around, give this movie a PG-13 rating. Because this is both, like, funny. I think she does as good a job as anyone could possibly do with this thing. Because it's, it's clunky as all get out. Like, it's chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Of monologues, because it's just falling apart.
2: No, it's the Karate Kid 3
0: macaroni and cheese monologue. (laughs) It's that bad. (laughs) All right, so. no, he said it. (laughs) How is anyone skinny enough to actually fit down the chimney, or do they just have, like, huge chimneys in cold weather climates?
1: See, I'm from South Texas, so while there are
0: chimneys, nobody uses them
1: ever. I mean, it's, you know, it's usually Christmas time. It's like 70 or 80 degrees. Uh, So, I mean, I have no idea, but I guess
2: they do. Why not? Yeah, I've always wondered that too. And I remember as a kid, we had a fireplace in the chimney and my dad got the stuff to like clean it out once. And we thought like literally he was going to climb down it. And it's just a big pole. He's like, no, are you stupid? Like, that's the way you do that, you know? And so it... I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it, the thing about it, and this is what sticks out about it, is, is if indeed this is supposed to be the thesis of the movie, it comes at like the worst time. Like, you need to drop that earlier in act two so that we, we feel some build up. Like, maybe if they did that like right after the science teacher is Poison to death, which we're going to talk about the fact that the fifth grade science teacher can be poisoned to death on Christmas Eve. But anyway, they, it might have worked a little bit better, but they save it for this pivotal moment to try to bring all this oh, to it. And I'm like, I think Billy's already eating out her hand anyway, man. Like, I you need to sell him on her
0: anymore. That's the whole reason why Zach Galligan got this job, because he came in to read with Phoebe Cates. And, and Spielberg saw it and was like, oh, this kid is already in love with her. This is exactly the, the geek we want in this movie. And they literally cast him because they needed like a nerdy kid who was completely puppy dog in love with Phoebe Gates. And I mean, I mean, who wouldn't be in 1984, but you know, especially if you're Zach Galligan and that's probably the closest you've been to a, a girl in years.
2: At least one that looked like that.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I for real. I mean, like, Okay, so so this whole speech, I love the speech. It's terrible. You're right. It's 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 not very well written, but it's it's like just so ridiculous. I think it's like the most Joe Dante uh, thing out of like the entire film. You know, it just it's it kind of captures his quirkiness, his his black comedy predilections. I mean, just everything about it. But you're right. It just it doesn't fit where they put it. And it really did need to be a lot earlier. I mean, I would have even put it maybe in act one somewhere, you know, um, kind of set it up as, as, as like she hates Christmas. Just something about it just always seemed off where they placed it. Um, and I think it's because it's like action, you know, they're going, they're running, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, so uh, my dad, this one time, I mean, it just it it just doesn't quite
2: doesn't quite work, I I think. But I at the same time, I really love the speech. <laughs> it give you another movie set at Christmas that's got a lot of action going on that stops to have a beat like this to tell you something really dark about a, a get about a character. Freaking Lethal Weapon does this perfectly. After Murtaugh's family's been taken and when they're waiting on the phone call and And Riggs is sitting there telling him, like, we're gonna get bloody on this one, Roger, and he's just doing his like his best Rambo, but you you look at that guy and you're like, hm, shit, this guy has seen it like this is gonna be bad, and it turns out to be that way because you buy that because Riggs has set that up, and mm-hmm. she's already told us early in the movie she hates Christmas that it can be really depressing. statistics show that 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 and I'm like. If anybody, um, actually he's like that to you, like, don't ask him out on a date. Like, that is not a good time to do that, <laughs> Billy. Like, that's, but I think that's the whole point is Billy is like Mr. Innocent Whiz Kid. Cause like yeah. his whole story is, and I got questions. So maybe y'all can figure it out for me. He works at the bank, but he still kind of lives at home in the loft and is, I don't know, dad bringing in any income at all with all that crap. We have no idea, but that's a nice house. And Judge Reinhold says something about like you're supporting your whole family. I'm like, I know what bag tellers make. Like, what what in the world like is this guy doing? And he's a he's a comic book artist on the side, drugs. and he's got it's this. Drugs. He's got he's got this young Toady friend. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's it's
0: drugs. It's got Who, yeah, and uh Cory Feldman is running drugs inside Christmas trees.
2: <laughs> the, okay, which man. male gets a little bust next year. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jay. Yes. All right, we tied so, it all together.
0: Okay, <laughs> yep. but before we get into the actual movie, you guys keep saying a lot of this stuff lost the feet of Joe Dante. But the original script that was written by Chris Home Alone Columbus, or no, he, he didn't do Home Alone, did he? he directed yes, he did. Home Alone. Yeah, he did. He directed it, no. Home Alone, but that's a yeah. huge script. So. Yeah. Right. So Chris Columbus, one of the most no toast writers to ever have written, <laughs> wrote the Gremlins script on spec, and it is incredibly dark. Like, the, like in the original mm-hmm. script, Billy's mom gets killed. Yeah. Barney gets killed. There's yeah. a scene at a McDonald's where the gremlins are just like straight up eating people. Yeah. Yeah. All of that kind of got cut out. But Spielberg bought this because he read the spec script and he was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever read. I have to buy this. <laughs> and he got Joe Dante out of kind of a career slump because Spielberg and Dante were both working on... Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah. So something good came out of that tragedy, and it was Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's the best Max chapter Lantus. of that one,
2: by the way. The, the one John Lithgow, Luke John Lithgow, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and it's
0: we, and it's funny Spielberg. Uh, we talked about this off air a little bit about how we haven't done a werewolf movie. And we need to. Dante did the Howling. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg loved slash loves the Howling. So he was like, Joe Dante is legit the dude, I want to do this movie, because if anybody can get this balance of horror and funniness together, it would be this guy. And you got to remember where Spielberg
2: was in life at that point, (laughs) too. Like his first marriage is falling apart. He's not really sure what to do, but he's starting to get himself together because he's met Kate Capshaw at that point. This is a year or so before Temple of Doom and. It's before he does E.T. and he starts feeling like kids are a decent thing to have. And so he, he's at that part of his life where, like, everything sucks. And so he's lip biscuit. He's, he's going to break some stuff. And he reads. And I've read part of that spec script before. And, yes, it is messed up. And in the hands of, like. I don't know, maybe trauma pictures or new world. Like it could have been some glorious acts action stuff, but Spielberg gets it and he puts that famous schmaltz over it. And I love him, you know, and I'll defend the schmaltz till the end. People can hear Ready Player One and I mostly defended it in that. And I think it actually makes it better in some ways because having read enough of that dark one, like that seems cool until you realize like shooting that, who the hell is going to watch that? nobody's going to go back and see that, especially to the tune of $200 million, no matter whose name's on
0: Yeah, I don't think you're selling like a, a million gizmo toys if the the Gremlins are straight up murdering people left and right. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The Gremlins have a death toll in the hundreds in this town. The consequences will never be the same for this place. You on the understand. other
2: hand, looking on the bright side, the budget probably got balanced.
0: I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> And everybody got to keep their houses because Missus Deagle gets off, That's right? Because right? where's <laughs> her
2: stuff going to? Back to the bank. So yeah,
0: yeah. Which they throw in a line that I just noticed uh, for the first time. Her husband, who you see his picture in the stairwell, he is a con- he was a convicted stock swindler. She got her money. She's benefiting from ill gotten gains. Also, all of her cats are named after various currency denominations.
2: <laughs> well, I mean I, I didn't pick so up, on a, up, a, up
0: yeah, that's a good point you know so she was Gordon gecko's
2: wife is what you're saying and <laughs> before we knew what that was uh, no that I think if there's anything that works about this movie, it, it is the fact that all these caricatures pop up. these are not characters. these are cartoons come to life and and only you know accented by the fact that like Chuck Jones cartoons and cameos of Chuck Jones, are in the background of this thing because it does remind me very much of the Looney Tunes that I grew up loving. It, it does quickly
1: devolve. Yeah. It quickly devolves into, into Looney Tunes. I mean, it's just straight up slapstick style comedy, but I think that's why it works. Because if you think about it, these are creatures are kind of terrifying, you yeah. know, these little things that'll just mess up all your electronics and, and, uh, you know, try to kill you with bows and arrows and, and, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, it's, it's like that that just um, that dichotomy of like you know the evil, but also with just it's fun and the, the just I think that's why it, it works. and I think you're right. I think Joe Dante was probably the only one that could really have pulled off that kind of thing at this in this time. and so I'm I am glad Spielberg tapped him to do it and I am glad that he kind of punched up that script because yeah, I mean oh, as yeah. much as I would have liked to have seen gremlins eating some people in McDonald's. I don't know if uh, I would ever want to take my kids to McDonald's after that. <laughs>
2: Yeah moreover you notice McDonald's is not the product placement in this it's friggin' Burger King so, which is next to like a pet store so that that's saying its own thing anyway but yeah they they clearly were smart about this but yeah you you can feel the parts where like oh that's Spielberg injected into the script like where he's rewritten it 14 times for somebody to say it better and you know give it Give it a little life and stuff. The, the one thing I like, you know, and you notice it if you watch in the movies, I mean it's it's the friggin' set that they use for Hill Valley. So it's Hill Valley with snow. So, you know, the movie theater, all that stuff. And it's kind of fun to, you know, see those things if you've watched Back to the Future a lot. And I've seen that way more than I've seen Gremlins. So I noticed all those little things and got a kick out of it this time. And then Ron, you you're right. All the it's wonderful life stuff. They blanket on top of it like all the the potato flakes that are the snow here just to layer it on a little thick, Like they want us to be in a mindset. We open up with the jamming Christmas song and it's everybody getting a good mood. And Oh, here's Corey Feldman as a tree. And you know, all this cute stuff going on. And Oh, this mean woman wants to hurt this poor little banker's dog. And all this stuff, you have all the goofy people in the front of this movie. There's that one guy that gets scared by Mrs. Deagle on the sidewalk. And I swear like Harold Ramis ripped that off for groundhog day years later with Stephen Kowalowski coming around and doing, like it feels like the same kind of scene. So you have all this stuff to just sort of get you in the, the mode and the mood and you're there and there's the cute girl and all this stuff. And then we, we forget though how the movie opens, <laughs> which is Hoyt Axton. Of all people, the most folksy voice, hee haw thing going on, walking through the streets of Chinatown, just trying to like hawk his wares or buy something weird at a, whatever this guy's store is. I mean, it's, that is such a weird opening to this. It's, it adds a layer of the Chinese mystical that, you know, I don't know that me, most people remember the movie. I think most people remember that big blast opening on the snow, but it opens in
0: Chinatown. Now, it's funny because Hoyt Axton was the only person they had in mind for Rand Pilzer. They wanted Hoyt Axton from the very beginning. And when they had to cut a bunch of the opening, Joe Dante went to Hoyt and is like, you sound super American. Here, just read this voiceover. you got a great voice. Just read this crap. And that's why we get the bookends with Hoyt Axton reading the intros and the outros because they had to cut a bunch of crap out of the middle of the movie that explained all this. But from the very beginning... If you have any knowledge of Chinese, and I did not until I looked this up, Mogwai is Cantonese for devil.
1: Yeah, devil or demon, um, evil spirit kind of a So, thing, yeah.
0: yeah. So Key Luke is trying to ward you right at the, in the, at the front of this movie. And also, can, can we all appreciate the fact that Key Luke got hopefully a good payday to put on a Fu Manchu beard?
2: Yeah. I, I love that did. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he did. I, uh, what, can we also talk about like the prototypical short round? Here, <laughs> it's the one who sells the Magua to Hoyt Axton. <laughs> you, you think? Uh, you think Spielberg saw him
1: was like, "I got an idea for a movie." <laughs> I'm
2: like, "I got, I know what to do. To I know exactly up the, where to put this
0: kid. In the next <laughs> indie
2: movie, we got to get him one of these. <laughs> that, that's what happens
0: too." And the problem was they couldn't afford the Mogwai, so they just got an Asian child. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. brought the they brought the mogwai out and Harrison Ford was like, I'm not acting next to that fucking thing. Get it out <laughs> of my fucking face.
1: That was too much emotion, man. <laughs> dial it back a bit.
0: Well he was he's 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 angry. No,
1: Actually, I've
2: seen yeah. I've seen him do emotion when Chris Angel did like some of his weird devil magic in front of me. He's like, "Get the hell out of my house!"
0: Like, yeah. no way. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the funniest yeah. clips I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, I should probably cut all this crap where I'm just dropping f bombs, but whatever. It's gonna have uh, an explicit tag.
1: It's, a, it's an 80s movie. What are you gonna do?
0: Yeah, it's, it's still it's still PG. We're only showing faces melting off and people getting <laughs> yeah, murdered by monsters. Yeah, it, I mean, we used if to you,
2: roll back then. If you ever needed to know. The clout Spielberg has. I mean, well, the first, the fact that there's no new Joss movies ever, as long as he's alive. But mm-hmm. if you just wanted to know how long that has been going on, nearly 40 years, people, he went to the MPAA and told them where they could stick that 13 at the end of that rating because he was like, no, I'm dragging the American family to this horror fest. We we're going to talk about Santa dying in a chimney and we're going to, you know, murder half the town with a, we're going to have one of these lizards flash somebody, even though he's got nothing in front to flash. And, you know, that we're going to do all of it and it's going to be
0: friggin' PG. And they said, yes, Stephen, sure. PG 13 didn't, wasn't introduced until two months after this came out. I did not know yep. this. I so, thought yeah. it had been around. So oh. my thought is Spielberg said, you're not, you're not rolling out a new rating. No, you're going to hold that crap until Gremlins is through. You can give that crap to Red Dawn or something. Yes, they slapped it on Red Dawn. <laughs> Red which Dawn. how
2: Red Dawn is only PG 13 is a conversation for another day, but. Yeah, oh a whole nother time, man. <laughs> right? You, <laughs> you can can think get away about with that. so much back then. I mean, it's it's amazing to think about, though, right? I, mean, I, I I would argue too. It was a better time before the NPA got a stick up its nose about everything and started you know wrecking movies you know by cutting them to pieces for what they were. Uh, yeah, I I'm I'm for one of those that like art is art. You make a choice, you know, in this country in particular to go view it. And I, I that what's funny, though, is that this movie is built on the dupe of like, come see the cute little furry thing. And there might be some green monsters, but they're cute, too. And then you get in there and it's like, my father died and, a, you know, tragic accident. And, you know, and then you've got the the neighbor like going, ah, you can't trust all this foreign crap. You know, <laughs> And then people just getting their faces torn off and shit, man, this, this movie is
0: messed up. I just wonder how many racial slurs they had to cut out of Dick Miller's dialogue. Not that he would say it, but they were definitely written for that character. You know, he's like saying all kinds of Asian slurs every time he's like talking to his television.
1: Yeah, um, he's like full Wesley Snipes and Demolition Man,
2: right? <laughs> right? <Like> that, <laughs> this, that, that's the that'd be great. Like you have violated the verbal morality standards for the uh, Kingston Falls. No, that would be, that would be awesome to, to know because what's funny about that though, and I think that is the joke of the Futterman is that he's always saying that, but look at all the foreign crap he has in his house. Like that Kentucky Harvester, may be American made, whatever. Uh, we were still important parts back then too, bud. But anyway, but he's got a Sony TV and he's got, you know, all the stuff. Cause it, that was the joke of the eighties, right? The Japanese are going to take over, right? Take over everything. Yep. You know, I, isn't that what Takagi told us in Die Hard? Another great Christmas movie that you know you Pearl Harbor didn't work out. We well, got you with Take decks. <laughs> he did <laughs> say himself. that. He did say that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he so i have seen Rebels. So.
0: We, we okay. So we've talked about the Looney Tunes influences, and uh, to me, those influences show up the most in the design of Gizmo, because everything they said about Bugs Bunny in the Warner Brothers cartoons was going to have big ass. going to have kind of a pot belly. He's going to have little short little arms and legs. He's going to kind of be shaped like a baby. And Gizmo is just the ultimate cuddly baby to me. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts about the unbearable cuteness of Gizmo? It starts, too, when they have that little fake
2: synthesizer, which I had as a kid, and he's singing along with it. And it's just like, oh, it's just a little... Angel. And I'm like, that's the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. It wasn't convincing people that didn't exist is that he was a cute furry little thing you could own. Well, and didn't they actually
1: have to like, like in order to emphasize its cuteness and to make sure that all the, the puppetry worked? Didn't they actually have to make it a little bit oversized? Like for close ups and stuff. I think they actually had like one, uh, or a couple that were a little bit bigger. And, and then that way they could get all the facial expressions that they really wanted him to do. And, and, but. As far as the cuteness goes, yeah. I mean, I wanted one so bad. That's the whole reason my parents took me to see it, because they're like, Oh, look at this cute little thing. And now you look at like the Mandalorian and Grogu, you know, the child is like I mean, he's basically Gizmo, right? Just without the fur. I mean, it's it's like a design that kind of really stands out and stands the testament of time just because it it how cute it is. I mean, it's kinda anime with its big eyes, like you said. It's kinda just um uh, care bears-ish and just, just teddy bears in general. I mean, everything about it just screams like, hug me. I'm cute. Yeah. And, and, and that's why when they turn into those fierce, fierce creatures who, yeah, okay. The, the design's actually kind of cute on those too. Um, although it is also a little terrifying, but it, it, just everything about it screams like, this is the pet to own. It's your best friend. I mean, it's amazing.
2: And I think that's why it sold so many toys, because it's so cute. I, the thing about it that gets me is that there is nothing that it looks like entirely by itself. And there's nothing else that's ever looked like it since that you don't automatically reference point that. So it's implanting a false memory that it's the only thing of its kind, you know, that it's ever existed. So and that is I don't, I don't want to undersell how hard that would be as an artist to create something Unbearably cute, but that doesn't really look like anything else we've ever seen. And that, I mean, the the artistry to come up with that is pretty darn amazing. You got to admit, like that that is some good good work there. Yeah, yeah, for real. Production design, whoever
1: the the uh, the designer was on that was fantastic because he he makes it like you said he makes it nostalgic enough because it still kind of resembles like an anthropomorphic you know bear you know like a teddy bear. But it's just odd enough that, you know, there's something not quite right about it. And so you get that familiarity with it. But at the same time, it's, it's, and, and it's something I, I don't think it could have been designed like in the seventies or in the sixties or anything. It's like quintessentially like eighties in its design, because then you, after that, you start seeing so many other creatures have based its design off of it that, that really, you know, I mean, in the eighties that it's just so eighties to me. Every time I see it, like it's something about it. It's like, I, I don't think it would have worked. I think the design would have been completely, completely different if they had done this movie like ten years earlier, you know. Uh, and so, I yeah. something, something about it just it, it screams like, you know, eighties uh, um, commercialism.
2: Yeah, uh, it it really does. I think it's Rick Baker, right? He's the
0: guy I think doing so, a yeah. lot of this stuff. So, and kind of early Baker stuff too. So it's it's really good. Well, that would tie back into the Howling because Rick Baker did the Howling, so that 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 tracks. I don't see why he wouldn't want to pull off the exact opposite of the wearable transformations in the Howling by making something adorable, not horrifying.
2: But right, we, I do have a question about that. I, I just to jump in there. Mm-hmm. When they spill water on it, though, that is that terrified me as a kid, and even to this day, yes. like there's something about the bubbling. Yes. Poor little Gizmo. I'm like that is who that is just eerie, and when they kind of unfurl and there's that sticky noise, it's you just know, like, oh, this is not gonna go well, this is bad.
0: Yeah, they do a great job of establishing immediately that these gremlins aren't like aren't like Gizmo. But uh, before we get into that, or before we get too much further into that, the three rules, uh, let's dig into that while we're talking about it, because this is when he's talking to like Billy's talking to Corey Feldman, he's like, here are all the rules for this thing, you know. Okay. So you can't feed them after midnight. At what point can you feed them? Can they have breakfast? <laughs> See, it's, I, it's I, a I, good I, question. I, Do they recognize time zones? You know, right, that's Which what I, have, I I have
2: always understood that is it's relative to where you are and where they are, just like it would be for you and me, because Billy has a line and I noticed it distinctly this time. It's like when they're all jumping up and down in the box and having a freak out and he's like, shut up. I already fed you. You know, and it's like okay, so obviously you can feed them. I think the idea of after midnight is sort of like any time when we would be asleep, you don't need to feed these things. Cage them up, keep them away, and even you know, Mister Wing or whatever has Mogwai has Gizmo in a cage, you know, kind of at all times. So he knows, and that's how I've always. I know people pick on that a lot because it is kind of funny, but. I mean, it's not like New Year's Evil where he's trying to hop planes or something. Or that's what I used to think that movie was, where the guy's jumping between time zones. It's, I, I think it's just relative to wherever you are. So, well, don't they even ask the, the question is. in Gremlins too? I think I think yeah. when he's when he's trying to convince like the scientists or whoever, I
1: think they even asked that question. You know, what if something gets stuck in his teeth and then he crosses a time zone and,
2: <laughs> right? You know, right. does
1: that count as eating after midnight? I mean, yeah. So I joe dante i think doesn't even really pay attention to these rules, or chris columbus you know i don't think
2: they even really cared about the rules themselves the light one is the one that i'm like most skeptical of because i'm like so i mean like because i watched a lot of buffy and angel and they skirted around that a lot (laughs) with the vampires like they could run out in the sunlight as long as they had a coat over their head sometimes and there might be a little smoke but they'll be okay and i'm like how do you avoid direct light at all time? Like
0: that would be very difficult to do. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why Mr. Wing has his shop in a basement. But my question is, all right. So let's assume these creatures don't drink anything, but we see them get, we see the gremlins and duffies get just slashed with beer constantly. And yet they don't start molting and bubbling. So does it have to be clean water? So, like, if you splash Gizmo with a mud puddle, would he sprout still? Or mm. does the alcohol in the beer, like, counterbalance the water? I, I don't Maybe the slits. I don't know. Because, like, you know... Um, if it's slits, wouldn't it be mostly water anyway? Well, I mean, it, it's,
2: it's true. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, fair. It's uh, it's paintbrushes, like, that are sort of... To keep them from drying out, they're just in a thing of water. But you got to imagine there's still some chemical residue in there. And, I mean, later a uh, strike jumps in a chlorine pool. So it, it, I don't know that it's clean water Yeah, That's, that's another one of the rules that sort of, you can tie yourself in a knot trying to you know, figure out what's, what's the logic of that. I think the way those are laid out, it, the part of it that's always got me is like the kid could have actually also said, if you get them wet, here's what happens. If you get them in sunlight, they'll melt. Are you seen Raiders? I saw it too. And you know, I'm going to be in the next one and they're going to melt like that. Or, you know, if you feed them after midnight, they're going to turn into green monsters. Like he, you know, it's more than to give somebody a rule, but you don't tell them what the consequence is. What the hell? Of course, I'm going to do it.
0: Now, do uh, now do these pedantic rule complaints I'm making even matter? to this movie doesn't matter at all, or is this no. just? A- or, is it, or am I just letting the plot, the plot get in the way of the story?
2: You start pulling these threads, man. The sweater's coming undone. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> real quick. Yeah. No, it it really doesn't matter at all because it's just
1: so fun, you know. It's it, it's like just stupid, dumb fun that that makes it worthwhile. I mean, and, and I guess it's one of those where, like, you know, once you add something and it becomes something else, and like its matter actually changes. I suppose is that when, like, it you know, so like muddy water is still kind of water, right? Just has a little bit of mud so, in there. But like when you add like the coffee to, or, or, you know, when you're brewing a beer, that's like it's actually different, right? It, it becomes something. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but who cares? Cause I mean, I, at, at the end of the day, you know, we're going to see some gremlins, you know, uh, chew a guy's arm off or something
2: in the mailbox. And that's all we want to see. Let me give you guys a comparison. The, the movie you're wanting where you want the rules to matter and, and say anything is the it's thing. A Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, well, no, it's The Thing. It's John Carpenter's The Thing. That's where that makes it. And then then you have the fun one, which is this movie. Much like if you want like the slasher that thinks, you want Halloween 1978. Or if you just want to watch people get chopped up, you want Friday the 13th Part 2. You know, I mean, there's a difference. And I think these movies live in that time zone. You know, The Thing and Halloween are kind of more in the serious, take themselves seriously kind of mode. Whereas gremlins in Friday the 13th 2 through 7 don't really take anything seriously. That's kind of the point of
0: it. That's fair enough. Uh, I I, I think the more I, I start focusing on these rules, the more I turn into a real Judge Reinhold character. (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, well you ever talk about the yuppie from hell you right? gotta have one of them it's an 80s movie man. you yes. gotta have a yuppie it's, it's. I, I mean you see the proto like saint elmo's fire and all of those movies like in this dude right here and what's so funny you know two years before or a year and a half before he's playing a high school kid working at a fish restaurant <laughs> he's crushing up db cates and then they're doing this and like totally different you know people again it's 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 always fun to see actors that that do things sort of consecutively with each other, where they play a high school student and then they play like a, you know, successful executive two days later. It's, you know, it's
0: funny. Well, that's one of the reasons why Judge Reinhold is in this movie because he was in Fast times. They wanted people who already had chemistry with each other. So they're like, well, he, you know, he can act around Phoebe Gates. So let's just have him in the movie.
2: <laughs> Moreover, he can act around Phoebe Gates and not drool like Zach Gallagher does. <laughs> so he can actually get through a scene. <laughs>
0: Can yeah, we talk about was,
2: Zach Galligan? I've picked on him a lot. Like, I mean, he he is the dive um, store Jimmy. He's Stewart. the
1: blandest guy. Ever. Yes. I yeah. mean he's he's naive to like a fault. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. as a character, he he's not a character. You're right. He's just a caricature. He's he's like so one dimensional. But at the same time, he's got like this charm to him. I think that, and that's kind of why you you follow him as a protagonist and. I mean, I completely, I, I get what Spielberg was saying because I completely bought his crush or his chemistry with uh, Phoebe Cates. I mean, he, he was basically just fawning all over her, you know, and I mean,
2: I don't blame him, man. I'd probably be doing the same thing. It's, I saw fast I, times. <laughs> I, I also think he was legitimately scared of Polly Holiday. For for whatever reason, whatever she did to him on, on set, float like, flow Flo brought out. it. Yeah, I mean, like you <laughs> you see the look on his face—that's real fear.
0: Like whatever she did worked. Well, that's one of the reasons Polly Holiday got this role is because uh, of Alice, and they were like, "We want somebody that people know who's capable of just having an acid tongue, but we're going to take all of the comedy out of it." And that's where we get Mrs. Deagle, who is history's greatest monster and the person in the movie who most deserves her wicked witch like death. She so, gets her come up yeah. There's definitely parallels between her death and the death of the wicked witch cuz the last shot of her is with her feet in the air like a, a dead cartoon character or like a dead cartoon animal. Um, yeah, I, I got like a wily Coyote thing out of that whole like the the
2: automatic stairlift thing and it just flings her out the window and all that. That was I was like I just waited for him to you know when he goes off the cliff and he holds up the sign like help you know and he drops and if only to be that, accented that would have been the time, best movie ever right <laughs> only to be accented this time by the fact that and i just noticed it this when she's going by that portrait of her husband he sat kind of side-eyed and like
0: yes finally she'll join me in hell it's 100 percent a looney tunes gag and, and i'm not i'm surprised yeah. that we don't see the eyes move mm-hmm. to follow her as she whizzes past. Dude, it's a ghost <laughs> a and Mr. Chicken awesome. gag.
2: That's what that's from. A little is, bit is awesome. It's <laughs> a Don Knotts gag. And, but that's the thing, though. This movie, is, even though it's so 80s, is friggin obsessed with the 1950s and everything about the 50s. The cool culture, Clark Gable and the race cars and all that and the noir detective and the sweet, innocent town and all of that, all that stuff that we think is the 50s or whatever. This movie is obsessed with this town is obsessed with the 50s. So it's, it's neat to see a movie that is so 80s be absolutely obsessed with the 1950s, only to be taught by what Back in the Future would do three years later.
1: Right. Well, and I think that's why this movie kind of still holds up compared to a lot of other eighties movies is because it, it it's that superposition that you're talking about of like the two different eras. And so it's kind of timeless question mark. I don't, you know, is it it's something about it. it? Just it makes it still worthwhile. And I don't know if it's just because it's zany, because it's, it's, it is ridiculously over the top and, um, or not i don't know but whatever it is it it really does hold up and it kind of does have that just
2: timeless feel yeah 2022's gremlins 3 would be set in like an amazon distribution center or something. <laughs> oh i <laughs> hope so it wouldn't be nearly as, as interesting it would be funny for the gag but i don't know that it would work as well.
0: the whole point of gremlins 2 was joe dante was like i'm going to poison this well with so much poison it, no one could possibly follow me up because I don't want anybody else to mess up my gremlins. Did you know? Did y'all and, ever see that Key and Peel sketch? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, yes.
1: And they they send in like you know the the Hollywood like uh, the, a sequel maker
2: or whatever it
0: is. And yes.
2: <laughs> and, and, well, you know, for years I thought. Rob Zombie invented ruining your own franchise when he did Halloween <laughs> two, which I like that movie, but it's weird, and I wouldn't tell it's you it's a good fun. Halloween movie, and no, it killed the not. franchise, you know, for a decade. And he did it because he didn't want him to do a sequel. And when he found out they were going to, he said, Fine, I'll do it. Yeah, cheaper, I don't care. And he <laughs> just went and did it. He said, We're gonna ruin it all. And and he did. And uh, you know, Joe Dante invented that for him. So you yeah, and Rob probably totally thought of like, I'm going to do the Gremlins 2 version of a Halloween movie. And it pretty much does. That checks out. That, yeah. That's a good call,
1: <laughs> yep. It's funny because uh, I love, as much as I love Gremlins, I think I actually love Gremlins 2 even more. But just because it's so over the top, it's so ridiculous. Uh, they just, you know, they take it to the next level. I mean, we got... An electric gremlin. There's a vegetable
2: gremlin. The bat gremlin was like the coolest thing to me ever. The TV station where everything has a dedicated channel. And you think like, how ridiculous is that? And now that's exactly what that's exactly. The horror channel. You got the cooking channel. You're saying it's very prescient. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, but it's, it, that's what's fun. Like, I look at that movie almost like an extension of my mass com theory class from junior year of college. Like, it feels like that in a lot of ways. It's, it's more a commentary on what's going on than, you know, anything else. But yes, it does murder the franchise. And, it's it's more watchable on an academic level, I guess you would say. That sounds really stuck up. I don't know why I said it that way. But it's more more of an exercise to watch that. Like You're not really gaining anything. Whereas this movie, if you just let it go and, and don't pick at it the way that I have and, and we kind of all have here a little bit, it is just kind of cute and it just flies. But we do have to talk about the fact that it does absolutely slow down. And it's not just the love story they try to cram into it. There's like a 25-minute segment of this. I was literally going like, "Come on with it! Just murder something, do something!" Like it, this movie could have used just a little more trim. Like a two-hour, this movie did not need to be nearly two hours long.
0: Well, that's the thing; they already trimmed a bunch out of it, so I don't know how much, how much more incoherent. I guess it couldn't be much more incoherent, but one hundred percent, you could cut every little bit of Corey Feldman out of this movie. I don't like Corey Feldman, but what's the point of Billy being friends with a literal? Actual child. No, there's that Billy could have made that, that doesn't same make a mistake sense.
2: and knocked the water yeah. on him. Like it would have worked. But it actually would have made Billy a little more culpable for this because Pete never has to pay for that.
1: <laughs> no, he just disappears from the movie. Like we never hear from him again. I right, assume I, he's at home dealing with his own gremlin problem, but I mean yeah. who, who knows? It's the craziest thing. Like, let's introduce this character. Oh, he's responsible for like all this stuff. Eh,
2: whatever. I can only think that like he, his death was something that they got cut because Spielberg has always felt bad about the kid and their kid getting murdered on screen and has swore he would never do it again. You know, and I just, I feel like Pete would have, would have bought it with like a hundred of those or 10 of those things jumping into that Christmas tree costume and just tearing him to the ribbons. Like
0: that's, which would have been the, um, the critters 2 guy in the, the Easter bunny suit.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. That that would have been perfect. Exactly. good I, I, back. Feel,
0: I feel like there's a bunch of Corey Feldman that was on the cutting room floor because there was a bunch of Judge Reinhold and a bunch of bank stuff and a bunch of Mrs. Deagle that ended up on the cutting room floor. There's this whole scene that was cut of Mrs. Deagle just excoriating Kate, just like destroying
2: her. Yeah, but I don't think we need it. Like, that's the thing, though. Like, I, I get why you would cut that because, you know, she's evil just from the first scene with that broken snowman helmet. And the way she she spikes fear in the town just walking down the street. Like in yeah. two scenes when she comes in the bank. And again, I think Zach Gallagher was legit afraid of that woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it on his face. And it and that's all we need. Like we need more of that. I think what I could have done with less of, and maybe I want an explanation of it is I I know the gremlins run the town of muck, right? And there's that whole bit where they're at Duffy's bar. <laughs> And I want to know at what point Kate decided to start serving them drinks and then to continue to do so. That I could have done without.
1: That never made any sense to me. Even as a kid, like I remember seeing this, you know, like I said, I was four years old when I saw this. I didn't get why was she sticking around serving them drinks? You know,
0: that just made no sense to me. I have a perfectly good explanation for that. Bunch of green scaly monsters coming to your bar. Are you going to piss them off by not giving them beer? Or are you just going to liquor them up and hope they pass out so you can leave? Because <laughs> there's no okay. way. If she tries to run, they're just going to maul her to death like presumably they did Corey uh, Feldman. Oh so your best your best chance is to stay behind the bar, pass out the beer and hope one of them wants to be a smooth or a, a smooth jazz noir guy in a, in a noir. <laughs> you're, you're going for the, the Peter Vakeman
2: what we should do with the marshmallow man. He's a sailor, he's in New York, we get this guy laid, we got get a <laughs> So yeah. You know what? They didn't even try that. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Well, there were several of them coming on to her, bless her heart. But, no, I've always thought but like I think that it's the gremlins causing mayhem. In town, like we could have montaged that up a little bit more. And I yeah. think it would have, it, it would have made it just go a little more fleet. I'm talking about if you just trim 10 minutes of this, it, it may feel less like we're there. Let's, let's get with it. You know, I, I don't know. It just seems like we, we take a long time to get to the big showdown at the sporting goods store mall mm-hmm. place or whatever.
0: So that shift in tone between like the it's a wonderful life versus. It, uh, this movie becomes a legit horror movie after a certain point. Yes, oh, when they a... take the thing to the science teacher, that's
2: when it becomes a horror movie.
0: Yes, the the whole thing about Mister yeah. Hanson, where that thing is skulking around in the dark, that's scary. The whole thing where Lynn is like going around the Pelzer house and these monsters are jumping out of her—that's scary stuff. Like even before they become full on monsters, they're like tying up Barney, they're like beating up Gizmo, they're just little little jerks and. Does that tonal shift where this movie goes from, from being a, a, a comedy with, you know, bumbling Zach Gallagher drooling on Phoebe Cates to a, to a out and out horror movie, does that work for you guys?
1: I think it worked for me. Uh, mostly just because when it really does happen, uh, his mom is just like a badass. I mean, she, she takes out what, like four or five of them all on her own. I think if, if she had died, I don't know if it would have worked for me in that case, which I'll, I would have made it more horror, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like that kind of eased into the transition a little bit because she was kind of triumphant. And so there was, you know, it wasn't so jarring. Like I think if it had been, you know, her, her death, like originally written, I think it would have been just been too jarring. And, and I don't know if I would have uh, bought that, that tonal shift. Um, but I think because she's still, I mean, and it's frightening. Don't get me wrong. It's still kind of, you know, uh, suspenseful. But I think because she's triumphant, there's just a, that little bit of hope that you get, uh, you know, and a little bit of levity, especially in the way she kills them you know, with the microwave and the, the Pelzer blender, what, juicer, whatever it's called. I mean, I think because of that, it, it just it works a little bit better. I do think that it could have probably been a little smoother for sure. Um, I, I don't know how they would have done it, but I think they probably uh, a more seasoned writer perhaps could have um, just transitioned
2: that a little bit better because it was kind of abrupt. See, my argument would be that it would have worked better had they had kept that tone going through it, where they kept kind of the, the Looney Tunes ridiculous kind of funny mixed with the horrific stuff. I think a movie that does that really well, like Fright Night does that really well. There's part of that movie that gets really friggin' dark and then it gets goofy and it's fun. You know, it, it's like fun. So th- when, when the attack in the house is happening, And even the thing at Duffy's, like, this movie is being fun and horrific at the same time. I was okay with that. It's when it takes that hard left into Albuquerque and it's breaking bad and we're jumping in pools and it's going, it's going down. Like, then I'm like, well, we're in a different movie now. Like, this is, you know, we, we have completely shifted gears and we can't go back to fun anymore. And that's when I feel like the, the second half of this movie on is really lacking a lot of the laugh and the fun that we got in the first half of it's really after the attack of the house, everything starts going much darker accentuated by the Phoebe cage speech, which we've already talked about It's everything is so much darker toned. And it's it's like this movie starts taking itself seriously. All of a sudden I'm like, no, you were, you were better when you were just being goofy and funny. You were being live action looney tunes. Do more of that.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned the live action cartoon because that, we kind of get to the point where it's starting to get closer and closer to Dawn. And you've got the town while they're they, after Phoebe Cates tells her story, the town and the movie theater showing gremlins, the movie have all been rendered silent. Uh, the movie, because the gremlins are all hide holed up in the local movie house and your movie theater, because Phoebe Cates just killed the crowd. But uh, all the gremlins are holed up watching snow white in what is a pretty good piece of Disney cross promotion you guys remember when Disney used to re-release all their movies in theaters when they would call it yeah. opening the Disney vault? Yeah. Yes. Did yeah. you guys ever, mm-hmm. like, get go to any of that stuff as a kid? And What did you think of that?
2: Oh, man, I loved it. It was like a treat because you just re- – we rarely got to see any of the Disney stuff anyway because we, mm-hmm. we weren't at home on Sunday nights to watch, you know, the Disney hour or whatever, and so to – to get to see that in a theater was – I mean, I saw Cinderella and Snow White and Bambi, all of them, I think, all the classics. Yeah.
1: So my dad used to work at the movie theater in his hometown, and he would – so he got to watch, like, a ton of these for free. Uh, and I remember a couple of times we'd actually go back to his hometown just visiting, and sometimes we'd stop in the movie theater, and he would, like, take us up to the booth. And you know, he'd just be talking to the guy, and we would just be watching the movie, you know, through through the little uh, the little hole, whatever that the projector uh, shines through. And so, I did get to see some of these, kind of, <laughs> not quite in you know, as the way you're supposed to see it. But I I also enjoyed it. I thought it was cool because same thing, you know, we we didn't really have a whole lot of the Disney films ourselves, and uh, in fact, we had a Betamax, so I mean, it was a little bit harder to get some of those anyway than it was VHS. And so, I mean, I, I always just dug it, you know. I, I thought it was something neat, something different. Um, but, again, it's also a, a really good move by Disney just kind of – throwing whatever they can in here and hoping that it sticks. And I, I think it did, of course. And now Disney rules everything. So you got
2: to remember where Disney was in 84 too, man. Like the, anything to just get somebody to pay attention to pay us attention, at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll take Spielberg. Heck yeah. You can have whatever you want, you know, and, and that's how, <laughs> that's how they, they really started to resurge as they started wisely investing the capital they would get off of these things and turn it into something else. But that's a whole, that's a whole other paper to talk about. But
0: yeah. And it's funny because I'm watching the gremlins as the movie starts playing. And Jerry, you have a two year old. I have a two year old. You've got other kids. I don't, but (laughs) the gremlin response was like watching my toddler respond to the actual scene in Snow (laughs) White. I hope I hope. Yeah. She was straight up, you know, would be running around doing her thing, screaming and yelling, be bopping, shoving snacks in her mouth. And then the movie would start and would just be like, boom, saucer eyes. And then she would start – she starts singing along yep. with uh, the seven dwarves. And I just thought that was really funny because what is a toddler but a gremlin? That <laughs> a made toddler's a human totally eat? a gremlin.
1: <laughs> you know, having, uh, having had three of them now, I can definitely say uh, toddler equals gremlin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, you're right. It's exactly uh, – and my two-year-old still, we were watching uh, Space Jam earlier tonight. Uh, cause they want to see the new one. I was like, no, you got to watch Michael Jordan first. Yeah. So, um, we were watching that and same thing. She was just kind of not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, something exciting happens and she's (gasps) right there, you know, and then she starts doing exactly what Lola bunny or whoever was on screen was doing. And so, I mean, they're just, their attention span is so short that I feel like, uh, she could party with these gremlins like forever and, be totally cool. Like, they, I don't think they'd hurt her. I think they'd literally just be like, Hey, let's go hang out. Let's go grab a beer or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's definitely uh, one of the things that, that struck me the most about having watched this for like the first time since having a toddler. It's like, okay, I, I see how your brain is wired and I see how their brains are wired. It all makes a lot of sense. Just pure id. Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Like the, uh, Nathan Pyle comic strip with the little aliens where there's the little young alien and says, chaos is how I learn. Billy and Kate get to live out everyone's dream. And that is to blow up a movie theater. <laughs> now, Jerry, when you were exploring your dad's hometown movie theater, did you find any giant gas mains in the back? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't recall any giant gas
1: mains, uh, but no, no, I can't say I did. So
2: I, I got to chalk it up to, Different times? Look, guys, or we're, we're, we're missing armor? <laughs> we're missing it. This is an environmental film now. This wow. is fracking. That's what this is. Wow. I mean, this is what happens. They're gonna light the whole thing on fire. See? Mind like,
1: blown. Yeah.
2: No, I mean seriously, like wasn't that not the trope of every 80s movie is, let me find the gas, man. The and gas main and put a small flame yeah. in front of it and blow it all to hell. You know, like we've been doing that for years.
0: Didn't they also like blow up the movie theater in the blob or try to? They did that. And so did,
2: they did it in a final destination movie. They've done, they've blown up a lot of movie theaters. <laughs> yeah,
0: <that's>, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty funny because, you know, I don't remember there being a lot of giant gas mains, but my thought was if you're going to do this, then why don't you just do the universal fire and find a big room full of old silver nitrate film and just like light that on fire and it'll go up like a priceless movie history or light those old curtains on the side that have never been dusted that's instant you know
2: oh they don't light anymore because of all the dust <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go they're their own fire retardant now. exactly yeah. no i it's like yeah that's this But I I think like it's a it's a problem though is that we create this army of gremlins and then we have to find a way to dispatch them, sort of all at once to make Stripe go on the hunt for water again, right? And I'm like, well, what? I mean, you created them so you could wreck the town. I get it, but it is a little cheap that they get taken out so easily. Like it's, I don't know.
1: I love that that perfectly like just just predictable convenient. This plot device, you know? Oh, yeah, we're all right here. Okay, let's blow them up. Oh, wait, one of
2: them isn't? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> he went to get extra snacks. Like That's that's why Stripe isn't there, we should say. He's like, oh, um, I need some more jujubes guys. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> and it's like, everything smells like... You guys smell gas? I smell gas. And he
0: gets that down. Like, yeah, Stripe, Stripe does sneak across the street to the Montgomery Ward and another piece of product placement to get yep. candy. Is this Joe Dante quietly supporting people who sneak snacks from outside into the movie theater? <laughs> He's so, subverting cause... the
2: whole industry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's blow up, blow
0: up the theater and
2: sneak snacks in, <laughs> right? Scathing indictment on the, the whole cinema. Oh, cinema only industry. to be only to be top by the fact that this movie is only streaming on HBO Max <laughs>
0: exclusively. So there, there we go. Oh. And yes, this Joe Dante also did matinee, right? Yeah, which is the did, most yeah. important oh, love the, letter, John to, Goodman. Yeah, to the yeah. movie theater. Experience,
2: but yeah, totally is. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's just a joke. Is we, you have to get him out, right? You, you got to get the main bad guy out. Gary Busey can't get shot by Riggs that early. And you got to have the fight on the lawn. It's the same thing. It just gets repeated over and over and over again. And that script was running around Hollywood at this time, so they may have ripped it off. We don't know. <laughs> Shane Black stuff's been around a while. Maybe Shane Black wrote the ending of this. You can't tell me he didn't because it kind of goes down like a Shane Black movie like there's predators stalking. There's again, we're shooting people with all kinds of hardware. You know, the, Stripe is a, is a little murderer and, and it, it, you know, Billy takes a beating. I will say Zach Gallagher, it's good that he's, you know, tall because he, he's going to need some of that height to recover. Okay. I do have a question. So uh, he's like trying to hold off Stripe, you
1: know, Stripe's got the, uh, the chainsaw. He's trying to hold him off with a bat. Like what was his plan? Like he did nothing else to try to get him off of like, 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 dude, eventually it's going to go through that bat and you're going to die. Like, what? do something. Like, <laughs> kick him off. I don't know. Or, whatever. But or
2: realize you've got four feet on it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we should just move <laughs> and then squash it. I don't know. That's, well, <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing about these. It look, it's the conceit of all the Bang Chucky movies, too, is how the hell can that happen that's that true. way?
0: Because <laughs> it can. Yep. Yeah, that's that's pedantic even for me, and I've been being pedantic about the Gremlin rules this whole time. <laughs> it's, it's called, Jay, don't kick this puppet. It's worth more than you are to exactly. <laughs> yes, that gal Yes, that is a million true. dollars here. If you <laughs> kick
2: the string puppet, we will fire you. So we can find somebody else to googly eye this, this
0: brunette. So we'll reshoot it. Well, we can uh, replace uh, you with a Dylan, uh, <laughs> a Dylan brother, yeah. or, or, you know, we can just die. We can just put Judge Reynolds in a wig and not Look, tell anybody. I, I will call Rob Stoltzman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Steven Spielberg at that moment. Like I will call him up right now.
0: Yeah, you heard yeah. a little guy called Michael J. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can get
2: him. Yeah. I mean, we can only get him on the weekends because Family Ties is a slave shop. But whatever, we'll we'll get him when we can. I'll I'll take Stoltz. Whatever Stoltz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'll do we'll do it all. But no, we we get the big showdown and I mean it is it is a big action scene and I do I do get a good wink out of the Gizmo driving the Barbie Corvette thing, you know, even though like that's completely impossible, but whatever. It's like that, that's funny because it's replaying the Clark Gable lines So Like I I dug that as sort of a Clark Gable mark and I I like that movie and I'm like, Yeah, that's that's kinda cute. I thought that was cool
0: this scene this climax at the end was the coolest part of all those gremlin record books i agree because it was done so well on the record and yeah, they I, really they
2: really did a good job with those
0: they knocked yeah, those out of the completely. park and I'm afraid to go back and listen to them because what if they suck now but.
2: <laughs> well that's, yeah that's the danger with everything yeah I know i know and I, sh- I should say that that movie I know that name of the movies to please a lady it's it's the the gable movie that you're you're seeing referenced out there in the the race car and the romantic thing, but it's got that same, again, it's 1950. It's that same sheen on top of it. We, the hero is going to come into the day, but Gizmo like launches himself off of like a snow shovel and just lands in the corner conveniently by the window. I don't think he knew that's what that was. And I don't think he knew how it worked. <laughs> like how does Gizmo realize like, Oh, I need to pull this string because that'll cause problems.
0: No, he puts it together because he, he tracks up the string to the shade and says bright light, and then he pulls it. Oh, I missed that. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. a good point then. So I, I missed that point. Remember when department stores sold guns?
2: Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Gosh, what? Christmas.
2: Right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That, did t- that totally brought me back
1: because uh, I remember all that. That's It's so weird to think about now.
2: But, yeah, that was like a normal thing. I mean, even Walmart, remember? See, Sears and Roebuck had Sears, shotguns yeah. in a catalog yeah. <laughs> that you could just order, and it would be mailed to you or shipped to your local store.
1: And I remember so- uh, a lot of those used to be, like that whole hunting area used to be right by the toy section, too.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not even talk about it. in the 80s. There was a hunting toy section, as it were.
0: <laughs> that was quite a blast from the past. But why is it that Stripe is the only one who bothers to get a gun? Why does Billy I- not get a gun? I well yeah I, yeah, I was wondering the question. same. I'm
2: like Billy disarms him from a lot of things. Billy could have gone full Ash and really armed up if he had wanted yeah. to. But w- let's remember, you know, Billy is stupid, and so therefore, <laughs> all he's thinking about is getting out of the Montgomery Ward somehow. Uh, but his dad shows up and like yeah, you know, like what actions? Like, am I in the scene? Okay, what am I supposed to do? And you know, it look look horrified at that goo on the ground. Okay. It's funny. But I I will say though, like you do a full-on horror movie, like those effects with that when, melting scene,
1: yeah, yeah. I remember that. Like I was scarred from that. That totally got me and I think I was that got me worse than the actual face melting scene of Raiders. I and I don't know if it's just because it was already a creature. Or, or because you see the kind of skeletal, bubbly goo afterwards, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, it was like just a lot more terrifying than than the you know the the whole Ark of the Covenant
2: bit. I mean, I, th- I think there's two things. There's one, he's a creature, and you've already seen him kind of bubbling anyway because he's doing the the multiplication thing, and you're like, oh, that's gross. And the Nazis deserved it. I mean, so come on, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's yeah. the truth.
0: Yeah, Stripe did nothing wrong. We, we all know this. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I wouldn't go that far. Ron. But Billy is the least, like, all Billy does in this whole time is get, like, attacked and shot at, get beaten up by a little two and a half foot tall green monster. And the person who's. protagonist who s- ever. <laughs> <laughs> and the person who saves the day is even smaller than Stripe. It's Gizmo. Because, like, mm-hmm. Hoyt Axon doesn't do anything. Barney the dog just kind of barks and almost gets run over by the Barbie car. And Gizmo's the only one who's like, oh, right. I guess it's up to me to stop this thing I didn't do, Corey Feldman. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, G- Gizmo has realized, like, these morons have caused all of this. So like, I, oh, Barney, get out of mess. the way. I got this. <laughs> yeah, G- Gizmo so watched I, him some Clark Gable movies. He got a little machismo, and he's ready to go.
1: <laughs> I think if I remember from the novelization, like, they provide a little backstory on this. Um, where that, I guess the Mogwai were actually like, uh, creatures that were, um, created by some aliens. And I guess like one out of every 10,000 or something actually wouldn't turn into a gremlin if you got wet. But somehow, I guess Gizmo, it's so weird. Of course, novelizations always add like a whole bunch more. Um, but sometimes I actually wonder because a very, you know, few times novelizations actually add stuff from like the, uh, like a previous draft of the script. And Mm -hmm. so I always kind of wonder like, what was in like like was that ever in the actual script or was that just the brainchild of uh,
2: all the? All I know is somebody at Fox got that and held on to it all the way until we had Alien versus Predator. <laughs> that, that lasted a long time, man. Oh,
1: now I so want Alien versus Predator versus Gremlins.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, but in the original draft, Ismo turns into a, a turns into the lead bad gremlin. He's supposed and to be striped, no, right? There is that's no strike. Strike. He is striped. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Can I tell you, like, I almost like that better though? That there like there's real consequences right there. Now that's a different movie, and it would be a much darker movie, but I kind of like that, and I almost wish they had done that. Because then there's yeah, you have to Billy would have to kill his pet. Put him down like old Yeller. Oh Yeah, man. right. Yeah. You have to you have to kill your favorite thing, you know, to be able to survive this. That that would that, Yeah, that would have been a way to go. But I think like Spielberg or whoever said, like, no, nah, man, we're going to sell like a billion of those stupid things, so you can't do that.
0: Yeah, that was 100% a Spielberg idea. He, he was definitely, and he's admitted as much, I believe, that it was his idea to make sure that Gizmo stays throughout the whole movie and that Gizmo has an active role throughout the movie. Um, and it was a
1: smart idea. I mean, for real, look look how much the movie made. um and look how much all the merchandising made. I mean, who didn't want a, you know, a gizmo? I mean, he was like we talked about earlier. He was just so ridiculously adorable. Um, So that's like completely a win there for them. But I kind of wish I had a piece of that
2: action because, I mean, right? that's <laughs> like I mean, a yeah, lot of
1: money there.
2: I mean, not only that, like, you're talking about 37 years of intellectual property where everything after it is compared to it.
0: That's yeah.
2: pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, for real. Yeah, just imagine if Joe Dante owned the uh, marketing rights to this. He would be as rich as George Lucas right now. Yes, he would, but he didn't sign the line wrong. <laughs>
2: that's a bad yeah. George Lucas.
0: Cut that's a, that's a, no, we're going to keep that bad George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who that was supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really sure who that was. I was like, did Paul Bearer advise uh, <laughs> Joe Dante about this thing? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh <laughs> Oh
1: man. I gotta have you on my show
2: just for like, I'm, me uh, with the spoon. I'm dead. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah. They, well, maybe it was before George began the merchandise, but George did teach Stephen about that, so that's where he got it from.
0: Well, I'm sorry.
2: Is that a Darth Vader mask you have there? My science project. We'll be writing a check for that, please. <laughs>
0: That's better. Your Lucas is improving. It's a better one. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But uh, Okay. So before we get to the ending of this movie, Jerry, you're a music guy. Jay, you are a music guy. The two of you need to talk about this Jerry Goldsmith score. Specifically, you need to talk about the Gremlins theme that everyone knows about this movie.
1: The Gremlins rag. Mm-hmm. So it was written as a ragtime kind of with ragtime kind of feel. And so we actually have stride piano being played on one hand. I mean, it's basically, it's not quite a minor blues, but it's basically just like an AABA kind of structure, which is really simple, but, um, it's, it's really catchy and it, it's, you know, it's got the syncopated rhythms, you know, bum, 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 bum. And so it's just, it really kind of propels that, that feel and it's just silly. And I think, you know, the, the use of synthesizer, cause this was like during that time when he really, Jerry Goldsmith, who I love Jerry Goldsmith, um, we were talking about him earlier and, you know, yeah, a lot of times he just kind of phones it in. But when he's like really on, his stuff is amazing. I, I think Planet of the Apes, I think Alien. I mean, there's just, just Poltergeist, I, th- I think, is one of my favorite scores of his as well. But in this one, by making it like that ragtime kind of feel, uh, again, it it's, makes it timeless. So we're talking about, you know, spanning all these different decades and, and different eras. But at the same time, it emphasizes like the silliness of these creatures uh, and then just adding the synthesizer to get some of these weird sound effects. And then of course we get like typical Jerry Goldsmith, you know, action cues with like ostinatos and like low brass and, you know, Glockenspiel runs and things like that. But I, I love the, that theme. It's just, you know, it's, it's really just like a minor, minor one and then it goes to like a minor four and like just hits the dominant five, like for a little bit. I mean, it's just nice and simple.
2: Yeah. No, it, it, it totally works. And it, it gives you that again, that offbeat piece of it. Yeah. Makes it weird, and what I, I always call it is like it's evil carnival music. Yeah, And that's that's what that song, the the, the rag is, and it's what a lot of the the music in this is. It's. The, the wacky carnival gone awry music. And I, (laughs) and I'm, I'm here for that. I also will now blame him for everything Danny Elfman's ever done (laughs) because I feel like that is a lot of what is happening in (laughs) Danny Elfman's life is, is evil carnival. Evil carnival. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Just, yeah. (laughs) You know, and I, I reviewed one of those weird Elfman movies once, you know, back in the day. And it's, yeah, the music's the same. It's just this off there's just something a little off about it. Like you can't dance to it, you know, but you kind of want to, but you can't, but yeah, it's, I I imagine some of those early Disney cartoons did this. If you ever watched them, they're black and white and like everybody has stubble and they they look homeless and scary. And there's always like evil music going behind them. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's funky. And I love it. The man Goldsmith, like say, when he's on, he's on, and he creates stuff that only when you hear it, you know exactly what movie that is, yeah. Scene is, and that's the best compliment I can pay to any school. Which I think is kind of missing from like a lot
1: of movies nowadays. There's like yeah. not really very, uh, uh like very memorable themes. And one thing that like John Williams, Danny Elfman, Jerry Goldsmith, all these guys did really well. And and this is a perfect example of it. This this Gremlins rag here, uh, and even Gizmo's theme later on, which is also kind of like does double duty as kind of like a love theme, I suppose, but. I mean, it's just they're very memorable. You know, you hear Gizmo, you know, do 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 that kind of thing. You know, and it's and it's Jerry Goldsmith's really how should I say this? He really doesn't use a lot of like diegetic kind of music, like music itself that is, you know, is actually a part of the scene and like is part of the reality of the film. Most of it is just score that accompanies you know whatever's happening. But in this case, I mean, he actually did. That's Gizmo hums that theme you know that's like his song that he kind of sings or whatever and i think he he really uses it very well and then of course we hear it a nice lush full orchestra with strings and everything but uh, the one thing that always stands out to me is just a lot of the the synths in this one there's just so much synthesizer that yeah and and i get it i I mean you know you have a new toy to play with and, and he was always known for like using all sorts of Random and, and novel instruments. So like in Planet of the Apes, he used like mixing bowls turned upside down. You know, he also used like the Brazilian cuica and a, 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 a Jewish shofar, you know, that kind of thing to, to get those, those primal sounds. And Alien, you know, he used like the, uh, the didgeridoo and a, a conch shell and, um, a serpent, you know, it's like a medieval instrument, mm-hmm. uh, that he used. But here, I mean, it's just, we have a new toy. It's a synthesizer that he'd been playing with for like a few years, but you get all these different cool sounds to kind of blend with the rest of the orchestra. And yeah. so you can really tell that, okay, this is, uh, I get it. it. It's your new toy. You're playing with it. But you know, I mean, I would have liked to have seen a little more creativity in it. Although I, I got to applaud him just because that theme is just so memorable.
2: Yeah. I think, I think we should tell people too, like the synthesizers he's using are the kind that like you have to literally tune them to get what you want out of them. You don't just yeah. dial it up and play. You have to mess with it on, a, on the diodes and all that stuff. And it was stuff yeah, so that was cool. like. Yeah, but like Pink Floyd and you know, really Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys were the ones that really pioneered a lot of that stuff, and it had made its way into movie soundtrack at that point because it got cheaper to make them. You know, it used to be a good synthesizer with half a room, you know, and then it, you got yeah. to It was just a big box, and you could do things with it. So yeah, you play with a lot. It does. It does make this very much part of its time, but in the same again, like you could lay some of the score on any modern movie and it would work for the most part, mm-hmm. maybe not the rag, but like, you know, just the, the orchestral pieces, the action cues. Yeah. Yeah. They sure. would lay right in any Marvel flick mm-hmm. that's out there right now. Yeah.
1: Now, I really want uh, the gremlin's rag overlaid onto Loki.
2: <laughs> right? Like, I think that would actually work. Too, I think, yeah. it would. That's, that's a good call. With, with the alligator Loki. Spoilers for Loki. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Think- <laughs> if you hadn't watched Loki by this point, by the time this show's out, y'all, come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Get on the train. Join the movement. <laughs> so, do we think. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was just like, hey, look at what I got at Gary Newman's garage sale. (laughs) (laughs) He he brought in like a crate full of synthesizer. Yeah, probably. I
2: can see that, yep. (laughs) I think it's fun, though, these composers, particularly ones like Goldsmith and Horner, some of these guys that have been around for decades, Mm -hmm. to watch them adapt to the new things of the decades as they come, come through. It's what makes it Again, what makes their their work memorable and their stuff memorable is that they they pick up whatever the new thing is.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I think um, what really drew drew me to Goldsmith was I'm I'm like a huge like 20th century orchestral fan. So like you know, there's like romanticism, classicism, you know, uh, all that all that stuff, baroque. But to me, I really like stuff like Stravinsky and, and Bartok, and like all those guys Berg and Schoenberg, and you know all those guys. And I think he had, does a great job of like combining like the atonal uh, qualities of Berg with like the just uh, primitivism of like Stravinsky, and he just combines them together in such a way that it just it uh, it really works, you know. And I was talking about Planet of the Apes, so you think about like that hunt uh, cue when when Heston's you know trying to escape from the apes and he's captured for the first time. And we get that on piano, you know, bum 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 bum, and he just has that ostinato going underneath. Well, we get kind of a similar thing with like all these action cues, where when the um, you know Mrs. Deagle and you know in that scene, and and when the Gremlins are just running amok, and and so I love how he combines that, but at the same time he overlays it with a melody that is just so memorable. Because of that, I think that's why it works in the context that it does. Um, I remember there's an old story about Stravinsky wanting to to get into film music because, I mean, at that point, orchestral music was already kind of dying out. And so he he met with like the head of a studio, I think it was MGM. And, you know, he's like, the guy was like, I hear you're the best composer in the world. He's like, yeah, I, I guess so. He's like, okay, well, you know, we have a new movie coming out. How long will it take you to, you know, to write some music for it? He said a year. He's like, all right, bye, Mr. Stravinsky. You know, so I think of that. But then I, I think of like Jerry Goldsmith being able to do that in like just, you know, eight weeks or, or whatever it is that it, it took at that time. Um, I know it's gotten shorter and shorter nowadays, but I mean, to me, that's just amazing. And I, I, I mean, I got to compliment him because even though we use the synth, that rag is just,
0: it works. That leads us to the end of the movie where Key Luke returns to get his Mogwai back. I don't know how he knew things had gone awry. I don't know if he just left Chinatown like had only was only just getting there because he took the slow bus when he found out his grandson sold the Mogwai to the whitest man who's ever lived.
2: Dude, he's on foot, he walks. (laughs) He walked across the earth to go get that thing.
0: Oh, he's not Kane from Kung Fu. He didn't walk across the earth. Oh I mean, yeah.
2: no, no, he walks out of town. He's not walking toward the bus station. He's walking on the road toward the moon. So he he like, booked be- from so Chinatown. Long, yeah. So <laughs> like like wherever the heck Kingston, where is Falls Kingston is supposed Falls to be? be yeah, like, it's supposed to be like upstate New York or whatever. That'd take you a little while to get there. So. Is it upstate New York? I thought it was Ohio for some reason. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> I have it is. No idea. It could be. I mean, you know, again, at Hill Valley, so it's I not thought it was just Midwest somewhere. Yeah. Midwest, yeah. But, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is Ohio. So, but still, that's a good hoof. You know, you going to go from Chinatown, you got to go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> a lot of hills,
0: <laughs> problems. Yeah, especially when you're a hundred year old man? Question mark he's, Easily, fairly he's old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, but he's in great shape,
2: you know, right? But I would love it. he comes back and, like, not only does he get it back and gives his money back, but he has to lecture everybody in the house, too. As mm-hmm. if, like, they don't realize the stakes <laughs> of what has happened. The yeah. whole town's dead except us. We're all that's left. <laughs> yeah, I know you sliced
1: your arm open and and your house is demolished, and uh, a lot of people lost their lives, but
2: come on. You guys weren't ready for this. <laughs> how dare you try <laughs> But only the gall to turn around to Billy and give him that false hope. Like, maybe one day you will be prepared. (laughs) I'm like, what was Billy going to do? The, the challenge of the warrior to get the magua? Like, I'm I'm sure the look on Billy's face is like, no, it's all right. (laughs) Like, I'll say goodbye and it's, it's okay. I'm, (laughs) did you see the brunette? Like, I'm just going to hang out with her because she doesn't turn into (laughs) an evil monster when I get her in the shower or anything. <laughs> I yeah, totally we know well. want to see like I've, I've, look. I've seen this chick come out of a pool. She does not go eat. No, no. <laughs> I mean, she is wet, <laughs> so.
1: no bubbling going on there. Uh, <laughs> but I totally want to see like Billy's training montage now, <laughs> as he becomes worthy
0: and learns how to deal with the mogwai We'll set it to a Survivor like uh, Rocky four <laughs>
2: There you go. Right? Yeah. It's got to be. Yep. I mean, uh yeah, and then top it off with hearts on fire. Just let's lay that on top of it.
1: And then when he finally gets the pet,
2: you gotta put the you're the best. <laughs> yes. That would be perfect. You're the yes. best. Yes. There we go. Yes, let's let's do all of that.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's I'm really down. it's really funny to me that uh Keyloop gives this lecture about, you know, you people of our destroying re- nature or whatever which is rich coming from a guy from a culture where they built the Three Gorges Dam that displaced like over a million people and has killed at least 30 endangered species that we know of. I guess since he speaks Cantonese, he's from Hong Kong, not from like mainland China. So maybe he's just as much a victim of the Chinese government as everyone else is in that situation. Not to get political or anything. I I
2: think we can give him a pass on on most of that. But uh, like I said, the the thing about it is I just find it funny that he – feels the need to lecture them when yeah the damage is there like, yeah you know it seems like
1: like the, that whole situation is like the lecture don't you think
2: <laughs> I mean, it should be more only accent by the fact that hoid action is just desperately trying to apologize to me <laughs> and, and it, it is a good bit of comedy was like I, I want you to have one of these smokeless ashtrays or whatever he's trying to give him and it's it, I don't know. It's just funny. No, a man already tried to give me one or whatever, the gas station guy that he gave one to earlier or whatever. But, yeah, I I don't know. I just thought that that was it was a good bit of comedy on top of. Yes, we know (laughs) we are. Not not only am I not ready, I don't want to be ready for this thing. Let me say bye to it and you take it back and don't whatever, whatever this is, please destroy it (laughs) because there can't be more of them.
0: I mean, really, it's it's Mr. Wings' fault for selling a Mogwai to Hoyt Axton. It's his grandson's oh, It's fault. his grandson's fair. fault. Yeah, yeah.
2: He, he didn't want to do it. That we him.
0: know. Him down. We, that's what, who we're blaming, but we don't know that.
2: <laughs> no, look, that, that is a complete commentary on how youth, uh, even even youth from <laughs> other cultures are corrupted by American capitalism, Rod. You can't, <laughs> you can't lose sight of the, the geopolitical statement of this
0: movie. <laughs> that kid was hundred percent born in America. We, we all know that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he was like priceless animal, rare, like, you know- endangered, dangerous creature. Yeah, two hundred dollars sounds about yeah, right. We we
2: need the we need the money. Come Look, on. Look, he knows like we gotta get the light bill on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the New York Power Department is not a charity, I can assure you. Yeah, we're hooked up to
0: that <laughs> Ghostbuster thing across the street. <laughs> it's getting a little dicey. Yeah, the EPA guy <laughs>
2: is still there. Like I think there's
1: gonna Walter be a problem. I'm, I'm hearing words. Walter Peck is breathing
2: down my neck, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> gotta do something. It's another reason you know that uh, Kingston Falls is not in New Jersey, because nothing is glowing in the middle of the night. So it's obviously somewhere that's relatively
0: clean. Yeah, uh, Kingston Falls is, is takes place on Three Mile Island itself.
2: That would have made the Gremlins somehow more terrifying. <laughs> or it would have made them a rolling Emmerich Godzilla,
0: one of the other. I, I was just thinking of the Chernobyl miniseries where all the the, miners, the, the all the naked mm-hmm. miners, go underground, but it's just Gremlins.
2: Hey, it's hot down here. I am all
0: in. Uh, I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch Stripe that. the that. hero of the Soviet Union badge. <laughs> just kind of pin it to his neck.
2: Oh, if Stellan Skarsgård can just play Mr. Wing, we've got a sequel.
0: Okay. Well, after those wild digressions that went nowhere, it's time to get this ship back on track with our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for Gremlins. If you're not familiar with the popcorn range, we go from small to extra large. You can add any kind of qualifier to that you want, extra butter, burnt, full of kernels. Uh, but, you know, however you, you want your popcorn, and uh, however you feel popcorn describes this movie. And as our guest, you will go to go first. Jerry, what do you have to say about Gremlins?
1: So overall, this movie, I mean, it's just a joy to watch. I think it's just so much fun it definitely gives you like all the christmas feels um it's not one that i normally think of as a christmas movie but um like die hard i think there's just so much christmas in it that uh, i mean it's got to be you know you you can totally take it as a christmas movie it, it's just everything about it screams uh, wacky but also uh that it it you know it does have that turn but at the same time it just it just makes you happy when you're watching it. It's just so much fun. So I think for me, I'd give this uh, a big old large tub of popcorn. I might add a little bit of butter, but there are definitely, definitely um, a few kernels in there. It is a little too long, I think. Um, you're right. That section does kind of drag, especially like in, in the third act there. Uh, or like just that transition right between the second and third acts, I think could probably have lost maybe just a little bit of time. And it would have been perfect but just because of that Phoebe Kate speech, because of the delivery, because it's just so unbelievable, really, uh, I'm, I'm definitely giving it that big old tub of popcorn. Jay, what say
2: you? Uh, so again, as I watched this for this review and I realized how little I'd actually ever seen it, I can't deny the impact it had on pop culture because of all of the things that we've talked about through this review that it references, that it's a part of. And it certainly is something memorable, even though it borrows from so many other pieces, and and this makes it kind of fun. Uh, it's definitely not perfect, and there there's a lot of problems with this. And like say, if you you know start start you know, picking at it the the way we have, the threads are going to come out of the sweater pretty easy. But if you just sort of let it wash over you, it, it can go down okay. Again, I still think it drags a good bit in the second act. That that's still a problem, but you know what, you can check your phone or whatever during that time. I mean, I, w- I don't recommend doom scrolling at any time, but you know, check the weather, look at your Scott portfolio if you have one, something like that, check your email. Uh, make sure your boss doesn't send you something at 11 o'clock at night, Whenever you're watching this. And then when you get to the third act, if you'll watch it as like, okay, this is now a horror action movie, you kind of can follow it and go with it. And it does have a pretty satisfying ending and, and again, you can laugh at a lot of the goofy stuff in it, but it's so iconic and the score's great. Um the acting in it's not very good, but there's some fun parts in it. I'm going to give it a medium popcorn, but let me let me follow through with the metaphor. This is the medium popcorn where back in the old days in the theater when they buttered it for you. And you you feel like, "Oh yeah, that the person giving me that really did a good job," and you get to the top part and you're like, "Oh man, all the butter's gone." So now I'm just eating this kind of salty, sort of rubbery substance and oh, there's a burnt one and then you get to the bottom and you realize the butter has settled there. And it's the good, good soaked in kind of popcorn butter. And that's what this movie is. So it's a medium popcorn with layered butter.
0: And I will give this a medium popcorn with extra butter. It has a lot. It has flaws, but there's a lot to recommend about it. Uh, Mostly, this is the kind of movie that it's cliche to say this is the kind of movie they wouldn't make these days because this wasn't the kind of movie they were really making back in 1984 either. This is a really strange really strange novel movie that takes really big swigs and it doesn't always connect. Every so often it'll something will land and land really hard like the, the creature design, like the Gary like the Jerry Goldsmith theme, like the action in the second half of the movie, like the just the shot just a crowd shot of all those gremlin puppets watching snow white and bopping around and having a really good time just stuff like that just kind of clicks and hits and and hangs really well so i'm going to go medium popcorn extra butter yeah i can't say it any better than these two gentlemen have uh but before we go jerry why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and give us some plugs
1: so uh yeah I'm the host of Totally Rad Christmas. I've been doing this for close to 2 years now. I had my big um Christmas in July episode which was just a big <laughs> clip show. I did an awards uh <laughs> an awards show just as an excuse to do like a big clip show essentially of all my favorite uh, my favorite episodes. Uh it was so much fun. I try to talk all things Christmas in the eighties. So it's not just, uh, it's not just movies. It's not just specials. We talk books. We talk magazines. We talk comics. We talk toys like Mask and He-Man. Um, you know, uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe. We talk, uh, e- things that barely have to do with Christmas. But hey, like if you got it for Christmas, that kind of counts as well. I give a huge leeway. I talk fun stuff like, um, Night of the Comet uh ron i i had the pleasure of you uh coming on the show and we talked invasion usa you know the uh, canon film with chuck norris um i just i try to keep it fun you know and just my main goal is just to remind you of that time you were growing up when it was kind of just magical and weird and wacky because it was the 80s and everything was neon but also like they had the best stuff like you know toys and cartoons wise so, you know, I just I try to do that every episode and I have guests from other Christmas podcasts. I have guests from just other random podcasts uh, on. It's just so much fun. And um, it's just one of those things that I love doing. And I can't wait to do more. <laughs> so I got to get you guys on again. Uh, Jay, I'd love to have you on for sure. It's been a blast and you can find us anywhere you get podcasts, of course. And on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at totally rad Christmas and on Twitter at rad Christmas. I do have a website, but I still haven't done anything with it yet. So, uh, don't go there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is totally <laughs> One
0: day that will be something useful. It eventually. Yeah. And as always, you can find the stuff that I write at DenOfGeek.com. I will have covered American Horror Story, I will have covered The Walking Dead, I will have covered all sorts of things that aren't necessarily Christmas-related but might fall into the horror sort of area, um, and not to mention other random stuff that just pops up here and there. And as always, you can follow the show's social media, at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you'll find announcements about upcoming shows, links to shows that are currently out, and a link to our letterbox page, which contains our entire archive of reviews. So feel free to go to filmstrippodcast.com to check out our Anchor FM page. Or you can just find us on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. You can find this pod wherever fine pods are casted. Please like, rate, and review. Give us a positive rating. Give us five stars. Uh, Share the show with people you like. Share the show with your enemies. Share it to with everyone and to everyone. Jerry, as always, thank you very much for popping on the show. It was great to have you. It was a totally rad experience.
1: Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of humor you get on this <laughs> <laughs> but, but for real, though, thanks for having me. It, it was a
0: ton of fun. Yeah, we will definitely have to have you on again for... Uh, a movie we've talked about doing for quite some time with Jerry, uh, yeah. but I won't mention it yet. Save oh, that case for later. <laughs> but for Jay and Jerry, I'm Ron. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, et cetera, et cetera. And Thank you very much for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.